Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, as you make your way to your seat tonight, find three people, give them a high five, tell them Merry Christmas, and you look awesome. You look awesome, Red Team. Sorry about the loss. Yeah. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Hey, tonight's going to be awesome. While you're finding a seat, can we put our hands together on every campus for anybody who's here with us for the first time tonight? Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you're here. Welcome to year three of Red versus Green. Charleston, Columbia, Clemson, Greenville. I don't know who won in your city tonight, but I tried to tell you you already know who was going to win it. Here in Anderson, representing the green team, one red versus green. Well done. Hey, there's always next year, always next year. Anyway, hey, this is the time of year where we all get together, middle school, high school, red, green, everybody all across the state to end the year with a big party and hang out. And we figured we would bring in the best there is to come and share the word with us tonight, a guy that we love. We had he and his wife here earlier this year, and everybody was raving about him. So we figured we'd bring him back to come share with us here at the end of the year. Will you do me a favor on every campus? Will you stand to your feet and welcome to the stage, Pastor Keith Pittman. Come on up here, Pastor. Alright, 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 alright. Fuse, how you guys doing? You guys doing good? I gotta believe there's better energy in the building than that. Fuse, are you guys doing good? That's what I'm saying. That's what I need from y'all tonight. That same energy that we had during all this, all the festivities. In fact, shout out to the green team for bringing home the championship. Red squad, I'm praying for y'all. I think it'll be a, maybe it's your year next year. But for the green squad, I'm proud of y'all. Y'all represent my color. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. So when I look at green, that's what I think about. I think about the Eagles. So, so I got much love. I got much love for the green squad. But, but red, it's the blood of Jesus. I got love for y'all as well. You know what I mean? There's, there's always ways we can work it in. Oh, man. I'm so, I'm so honored and, and humbled to be back with you guys. My wife and I had um, the incredible privilege of being here with you guys several uh, months ago. And we was in the middle of a, a season of transition for us as we were moving from Washington, D.C., going into Orlando, Florida. So, so that, that transition is going really well. In fact, you guys prayed for us, and I really do believe that, that those prayers really did strengthen us and encouraged us. And, and God's doing some amazing things down in Orlando. So I want to send you greetings from, from Mickey Mouse Land. I want to tell you guys what's up. Mickey told me to say hello. Um, but I also, I want to make sure you guys know my, my beautiful wife is traveling with Meg. Would you mind standing up and saying what's up to the people? My bride, Meg, is in the building. Yes, my, my bride of, of um, we've been together 25, like, hold on, relax, I'm, I'm gonna get it right. Um, about 25 years, right? We've known each other since high school, been together for like 20, 25 years, married for like 20-ish years. Yes, like, I mean, I mean, we're like in decades now. At some point, you just kind of stop counting. It's like, man, we're stuck together. So, so we've been at this thing for a while. We got, we got three children. We have a 26-year-old, Keith Jr. Um, we have a 22-year-old, 
uh, and then we also have a 15-year-old. And then we have, two, we have two beautiful granddaughters as well. I wish I could have shown you guys some pictures, um, but they're just way too cute that cameras can't capture it. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, our, that's our family dynamic. So, so let, me, let me go ahead and address this. And I said this before because I know that many of you guys are probably, like, looking and, and saying to yourself, like, how is it possible that, that, a, that a man as stylish and as young as that has two incredible, beautiful granddaughters, considering the way that I look? And, and, and I'll, I'll look dead into the camera for all the campuses right now. The reason why is because black don't crack. And, and so I'm, the grace of God has, has been with me, and I'm, and I'm, I'm walking in that right now. Um, we're really, we're really, really, truly blessed. Now, what I want to do before I, before I jump into the message, I want to show some honor to, to this house, to your amazing leaders. You know, like, like this church has been an encouragement and an inspiration for me and my family and even my context of ministry for, for many, many years. You'll hear a little bit about that uh, a little bit later in the message. But I'm, I'm hopeful that you guys can, 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 can kind of recognize that what God is doing here isn't normal. That, that I've, I've had an opportunity to travel all around the world, um, thanks be to God, and, and, and of all the different environments I've gone into, there's, there's many churches and many environments that are, that are praying, that are strategizing on how they can get to a point where you guys are. So I really hope that, that as a family, as a community, that you guys are leaning into what God is doing. I truly believe that if you can lean into your season here at Fuse, it has the, it has the ability to be a catalyst that radically will change your lives. And that's only possible with great leadership that believes in you. That's only possible with great teams and people that are willing to support and love you. So can we give it up for the lead pastors, for the team, for Pastor Caleb, everybody that serves. We love you guys so, so much. We're so thankful for all that you pour into this generation. Yeah, I'm ready to jump right into the word, and I, and I, love, the, I love the scripture reading that, that we opened up with um, tonight. The whole idea that, that Jesus came to save all people. It's such, a, it's such a powerful thought. It's a thought that, that definitely needs to be understood and, and unpacked a little bit in our current context and in the culture that we live in. Understanding that, that Jesus is a, is a man after all people. That means that no matter what your background is, no matter what your circumstance may be, that, that Jesus is for you. You see, scriptures tell us that if God be for you, then who or what can be against you? That should be some encouragement for us in here tonight. And I believe that there's, there's tons of scripture that we can look to that, that highlight the very idea of how the grace of God can, can penetrate and, and find us no matter where we are. And there's a passage of scripture that I want to read to us that kind of perfectly exemplifies what I believe this season is really all about. It's really about the pursuit of, of God's grace. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in, in 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you don't, it'll come up on the screens in just a moment. I want to read a couple of passages. We'll pray and kind of see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But here's what it says, starting at verse number one. And David said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when he called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not someone in the house of Saul that I may show kindness of the goodness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there's the son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Verse number four, the king said to him, well, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered him and said, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore you in the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid him homage and said, What is your servant, that you shall show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, 
all that belonged to Saul and his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall, shall, shall serve him in the land and, and shall bring the produce in your master's grandson and he may eat the bread of it. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and, and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's son. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. That's a, that's a lot of scripture, but I believe there's a lot that God would like for us to walk away with today. This idea of this man who was broken and in isolation, but, but somehow he was invited to come back into the presence of the king. If you're taking notes, and I, and I hope that you do that, I, I really do. I believe that there's some things that God may speak to us tonight. I want you to write this message title now. There is a place for you. Let's pray and let's get into it. Lord, we, we thank you so much, God, for what you're doing in this place. And it's a prayer, God, our, our, our desire of our hearts, Father, that you'll, that you'll meet with us tonight. We create this space exclusively for you. So, Father, we pray. We pray for open eyes that we can see you maybe in areas where we've lost sight of you. We pray for open ears that we can hear your truth, God, even amongst all the, the cultural confusion that, that desires to drown you out, God. And we also pray for open hearts that we can receive the truth of your word, Father, that's transformative in our lives. We pray, declare, and, and give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm not, I'm not sure about you guys, so I just want to go ahead and, and, and make this declaration. And y'all can kind of give me a sense of, if I'm talking to somebody in the crowd right now. But I'm a, I'm a person, I, I, love, I love video games. Any, any gamers out in, in the building at all of our locations? We got, we got, we got a few of y'all out there. Like, I, I've, ever since I was young, I've always been a person that's, that's loved video games of some capacity. Right now, I don't get a chance to, to play as much as I would like to, but, but nonetheless, I still do. My, my primary focus now is typically like Madden or, or maybe NBA 2K. At the end of service, if anybody wants to come and see me in Madden or 2K, I will surely give you my gamer tag on Xbox or PS4 to give you this work. But anyway, um, but I, it's, it's just one of those things. But occasionally, every now and then, I do get a chance to, to play one of these other type games that, that have like a missions type focus to it. And, and you guys know how it is, whether it be like something like a Tomb Raider or something like that, you're, you're playing through it. And, and one of the most challenging things for me is trying my best to be consistent. Because as you can imagine, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I got grandchildren. I got all these things going on. It's hard for me to play the game consistently. So I may play for a couple of days and then I'll come back to it a few weeks later. And the biggest challenge is once you come back a few weeks later, you literally can lose momentum. You don't even know what mission you're working on. You don't know what you're supposed to do next. You don't even know how you got there. And you just find yourself playing the game, but you don't even understand the reason why you're playing it. You ever find yourself at a spot where you're just wondering, like, how, how did I get here? What's, what's next? I'm a little confused about what am I supposed to do? You know, the, the truth of the matter is I, I think that there's times in our own lives where we can evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves, man, how, how did I get here? I seem as if I've, I've lost momentum or maybe there's been some successes in my life, but nonetheless, I don't know how I, I've got here. And I got to be honest with you guys, there's moments even in my life now that I'll pause and I'll reflect to think about how, how, did, I get to, how did I get to where I am, both highs and lows. It, it, it challenges me to kind of reverse engineer my life and begin to look at the things that kind of were catalysts for me to arrive at the place that I was at. They become teachable lessons. You see, for me, I, I can recall that for me, like the way that I arrived to, to where I am is it really started when I was four years old. See, when I was four years old, my, my biological father had, had walked out of our life. I had an older brother. 
And I still remember very vividly that when my, my biological father left out, it was the first memory of me watching him walk out of our home. And I, and I didn't understand it. I'm, I'm 44 years old, so that means that this is back in like the late 70s. The divorce rate wasn't anywhere near what it is now. It wasn't common. So I was literally the only kid in the neighborhood whose father that wasn't around. And, and I didn't understand what it meant. But as I got older, once I got into kind of like that middle school season, I began to recognize the difference between me and my friends. I began to recognize that there were environments where their dads were that, that my dad wasn't. And, and it began to affect me so much so that, that I began to kind of like feel this anger on the inside of me. This frustration, this disappointment, so much so that, that I didn't want to have anything to do with my biological father, like nothing at all. And so I, I found that the only outlet that I had was to begin to, to write these letters, to just write these letters. And I, I would often write these, these letters to my dad, just kind of expressing how I felt, expressing some of my frustration, expressing some of my disappointment. I never sent them anywhere. I never, I never told anybody about them, but it was just my way of, of getting some things off of my chest. Interestingly enough, I began to notice a certain rhythm and pattern to the letters as I wrote them. As I got a little bit older and I began to read over them again, I began to kind of see the sequence and the words and the, and the patterns that were there. And it turns out that all of these letters that I was writing, all this expression, it was actually like, it was actually like poetry. I was writing these, these poetic words that was expressing the frustration and pain that I was feeling. Well, if, if you know anything about the journey of what it takes to, to, for someone to become a, a rap artist, that was me. I went from being the angry poet to now becoming the angry rapper. I, I literally envisioned myself of, of being this person that would, that would make it on, on every TV show imaginable and be incredibly successful at it. So I put every ounce of energy that I could into really perfecting my craft at being an MC. That's what I felt that I was called to do. I would, I would be huddled in my room, and I would get a brush, and I would work on my, my bopping back and forth. Because, you know, you got to have, like, when you're an MC, you got you to know how to do that stuff. So I, I, would, I would, like, work on my, my wordplay. I would work on looking in the mirror, my facial expressions, my body language, the way that everything matters with that. So I would, I would practice how I would look when I would be spitting these bars. And, and I remember one time my brother had busted into the room, and he just kind of caught me with a brush in my hand. I'm, like, in the middle of, like, a, and he's, like, what are you doing? I'm, like, brushing my beard, bro. What do you think I'm doing? didn't have a beard. So he's like, yo, are you, are you a rapper? I'm like, no, man. Like, I didn't want anybody to know. I'm like 14 years old. I'm a freshman in high school. Well, my brother was like, man, like, I'm not going to tell anybody. I promise. I'll, I'll keep it to myself. Now, Fuse, I would love to tell you that my brother kept his word. I, I would love to tell you that my brother did not betray my trust, but the truth of the matter is he did. And he did it in the most public way possible. We were at a school dance, a high school dance. I was there with my brother. He was a senior. And so here we are hanging out at the school dance, and the DJ calls me, can Keith come up to the front? I, I didn't know what he wanted. I, I thought that I got separated from my brother, and they were just kind of calling me to the front like a lost kid at Walmart. Like, just kind of come up here so you can kind of reconnect with your party and, and go on about your business. They call me to the front, and then the DJ hands me a microphone and says, your brother says that you can rap. I heard you got something to say. You got 30 seconds. All eyes are on me. All eyes are on me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm literally sweating bullets, and I'm... Like, I don't know what to do with it. But as I begin to speak, one word leads to a sentence, and a sentence leads to a paragraph. I'm glad no teachers were there because I can't even tell you that it was necessarily the clean version of it. But nonetheless, everything that was in me kind of came out. That moment, everything changed. That moment, I, I went from being my brother's little brother to having my own identity. When I walked into class, I was no longer little Reggie, but I was, I was Chopsticks. That's my, that's my street name. That's my rap name. They, they call me Chopsticks. Um, I was no longer little Reggie, but I was Chopsticks. 
So my, 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 my walk was a little bit different. I, I didn't rush to my classroom like I used to. I took the long way to class because I wanted everybody to see me so they could compliment on these bars that I spit at the Friday night party. So I'm, I'm walking through and everybody's like showing me all this love. And so I really began to put my identity and everything that I had into this music thing. I graduated from, from high school, and, and I began to pursue it. I'm, I'm in New York all the time. I'm in Philadelphia all the time. We're, we're battle rapping. And the thing is, guys, every time that I wrote a rhyme, every time that I did a battle, every time that I did anything, I envisioned that I was battling my father. That was the anger that was inside of me. That was the motivation of all of it, feeling if there's some way that I could use my words to surgically dismantle this man that broke my heart, that that would somehow give me some form of vindication. In the middle of all this, when I was pursuing my music career and, and honestly felt that I was going to be very successful, started getting some traction with all of it, my cousin gets tragically killed in a car accident. Just out of, just out of left field, didn't even expect it. And, and I, remember, I remember realizing for the first time, life is not promised. I, I remember for the first time really rap, wrestling with the idea that, man, I'm a, I'm a mortal being and, am I, and if I were to die tonight, would I, would I spend eternity with Jesus? It didn't take much convincing for me to realize that I needed to, to change my life. And when I did that, I, I surrendered everything. I, I stopped the music cold turkey. A lot of my friends were, were wondering, like, all the energy, all the money, all the effort that you put into it, it all seems like you wasted it. All, all everything you've done, all the traveling, all the people you met, all the connects, all the opportunities, you're just going to walk away from it. But I, there was something inside of me that said it was time for me to move on. I ended up getting a job where I, I operated as a, as a trainer for, for principals in the school system, and, and I found myself in front of people all the time. Eventually, I ended up being in ministry. And, and I remember the first time that I stood on a platform and, and shared a message to a room similar to this. It was my first time, and, and there were hundreds of students, and as I, and as I preached the gospel, there was, there was something natural about it. There was something peaceful about it. There was something that seemed as if I was doing what I was wired to do. When I got done and I walked off the stage, it, it occurred to me that, that all my previous experiences, everything that I had done up to this moment, it all originated with my father walking out of my life when I was four years old. And that put me on a pathway of developing myself to a point where I got comfortable in front of people. I learned a very valuable lesson, Fuse, that your past does not define you, it develops you. That there's nothing wasted when grace is involved. And what I truly believe is that some of us are on our own journeys. And maybe there's been some experiences that we've had in our own lives, and we're wondering to ourselves, what was all of this for? Why, why did I even have to go through this? Why did I have to experience this pain? It seems as if it's useless. But what I see in Scripture is that God has the ability to use our most broken seasons, and somehow he works it all together for the good. You see, when I, when I look at this narrative that we're talking about, I think that, I think that Mephibosheth could say the same thing. Okay, let me go ahead and put this disclaimer out there. Mephibosheth is a, is a mouthful. So henceforth, I'm going to refer to him as my main man, Meth. Okay, so my main man, Meth, he, his, he, he has a very interesting upbringing. He is, the, he, is the son of the, he is the grandson of the king. And what happens with his life is that his life radically changes. He's about four to five years old when his, when his grandfather and his father die. Now, you have to understand in his context that whenever the king dies, that that meant that typically the entire bloodline would get wiped out to make sure that there's no one that could ever try to claim the throne. So the people that were watching after him, in an effort to try to get him out of the harm's way, they picked him up, but they were so reckless that they dropped him in and it resulted in him being paralyzed from the waist down. As Ziba said, he was lame in both feet. This young man, who's only four to five years old, sustained an inj injury that would be with him for the rest of his life. He was dropped. 
And if I could be honest with you, I think that there's some of us in here that if we were to do inventory of our lives, we've been dropped into situations that we didn't even ask for. And it seems like it's affecting everything that we do. Some of us are, are, are dropped into single family homes where there may be not be both families and both parents in a household. You were just dropped in that situation. I didn't ask for that, but this is my, this is my reality. Some of us are, are, are dropped into poverty where every, every dollar matters and we're struggling just to survive and just to, to try to keep. Sometimes we get dropped into situations that we didn't even ask for and we don't, and we don't even know how to move forward. This is exactly what happens with my main man, Meth. He gets, he gets dropped into this situation and now it seems as if it's limiting his ability to ever move forward. It kind of shows you just how fragile life can be. I mean, some of us can probably identify with this. Have you ever, like, been in your kitchen and, and, and dropped a glass and, and it shatters all over the place and you do everything you can to, to clean it up? And then two weeks later, you're minding your own business, trying to make yourself some cinnamon toast crunch, and you end up stepping on a random piece of glass that you thought you cleaned up a long time ago. It's interesting how we, we try to clean up the mess on our own. But every now and then, we'll step into pain. And when you step into pain, it changes the way that you walk around things. It changes the way that you walk around friendships when you've been betrayed before. It, it, it changes the way that you interact with people when you've dealt with heartbreak. It changes the way that you interact with adults when you've been betrayed by adults. It literally changes the way that you walk when you've been impacted by the very environment that, that is now fueling your brokenness. It, it, it reminds me of a few years ago when I, when I bought my son his, his first iPhone. And when I bought it for him, I, I gave him some very clear instructions. I said, hey, man, like you got, you got to take care of it as you can imagine. And so I, I remember as a, as a young man, he, he had his phone and, and we were about to go get something to eat one day and he gets out of the car and as he falls, as he gets out, the phone falls off his lap. It was almost like it was in slow motion because as a parent, and, and maybe you guys have heard this, maybe you haven't, but I'm gonna speak on behalf of the parents right now. When, when I look at my children, I would love to tell you that I see them as the loving children who have purpose and destiny. I would love to say that. There's a portion of that, but all I pretty much see are dollar signs of all the money that they've costed me. So as I see the phone falling, all I am seeing is the accumulation of money that it's going to cost in order for me to fix this device. It falls and it hits the ground. He looks at me, I, I look at him, and I, and I pick it up, and there's that dreaded moment where you're just hoping that the screen is not cracked, and it was. I've seen this phone fall down the steps. I've, I've seen this phone get run over by a vehicle. I've seen this phone probably even take a bullet straight up, but it just so happened to fall off of his lap, and that is the thing that made it fall apart? Isn't it interesting the things that we can survive only to fall apart at some of the most small things? Isn't it interesting how those things happen? And so I took the phone. I said, okay, well, we got we to go get it fixed now. And he was so reluctant to allow me to fix it because he wanted to continue to use it until we could take it into the shop. You, many of you guys probably are in that same situation now. You probably know that one friend whose screen is shattered right now and they're still trying to show you pictures. Here, take a look at this. I, I can't see it. But, but what happens because unfortunately, what can happen is when we don't get it fixed quickly enough, we can learn to look past the brokenness and we never feel like we need to get it fixed. It just becomes a part of our reality. So I told my son, I didn't want him to get used to navigating through his life by looking through a lens of brokenness and think that's acceptable. What we did is we took it and got it fixed. And it was a price that, that went with it, but we had to go and get it fixed. And my encouragement for some of us, maybe if we look at some parts of our lives right now, maybe there's an aspect of us that's shattered but maybe we've gotten so comfortable with that brokenness that we start to look past it and we don't even desire to be healed anymore. But after we fixed my son's phone, I went and got him a, a life-proof case. Now we can put it underwater. He could take a shot from a tank, anything, and that thing is supposed to be able to survive it. Here, here's what I truly believe what that means for us. I believe that grace is our life-proof case. 
It may not keep you from falling, but it will keep you from falling apart. I, I sense that there's some of us in here right now that we've been reluctant to move forward in our lives because we feel too fragile to move forward with forgiving, to move forward with trusting because it's a sensitive spot for us. But if we can allow grace of God to truly heal you and strengthen you, it may not keep you from falling and make mistakes, but it will certainly keep you from falling apart. See, when I look at my main man, Meth, he's in this place where he isolated himself. So, so David begins to think about how can, I, how can I show, how can I be honoring to the word that I spoke? And so what he did is he, he reached out to this guy named Ziba. Now, now, let me tell you a little bit something about this dude, Ziba. Ziba, he knew where Meth was. He, he knew the part of town that he was living in. So, so when David comes in, it's like, yo, like, do you, do you know anybody, anybody at all from Jonathan's house that I could be kind to? He's like, yeah, I, I, know, this, I know this dude named, named Meth, but he, he, he's lame in both feet. Did you pick that up? At no point did David ask for his medical history. But somehow Ziba thought it was necessary to project and let him know, yeah, there's a guy out there, but he's broken. He's unfit. He's unsuitable. Because when it came to kings, they loved to be surrounded by people who, who fit the certain look. They loved to be surrounded by people who had it all together. So, so I don't know. Maybe Ziba thought, maybe, that if I tell you that he's broken, you'll lose all interest in him altogether. You see, what's interesting to me is that name Ziba, it means statue or monument. What statues or monuments do are they're symbols that are meant to represent something. When you drive around and you see a statue or a monument, it represents something. If you were to go into New York right now and see the Statue of Liberty, it's a, it's a monument. It, it symbolizes freedom. Zebra seems to have no other purpose but to, to, to be a symbol that reminds my main man, Meth, of his brokenness. What are the zebras in our lives that seem to serve no other purpose but to remind us of the mistakes that we made? that seem to remind us of our brokenness, that seem to remind us that we're unfit, that seem to remind us of the, the season that we went through where we made some mistakes, those things that, that seem to want to pull us back even though we know that God is trying to move us forward. You see, I want to encourage somebody right now. The Bible says that, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I believe right now that if there's somebody in here who's struggling with moving forward with their life because maybe there's people who won't allow you to move forward, Maybe there's some people that want to allow you to forgive yourself. The Bible says that Jesus does not remember your sins anymore. So my stance has always been this. If Jesus does not condemn me, I will not allow anybody else to do it. If Jesus has forgiven me, then I'm going to move forward with my life. You can continue to try to condemn me if you want, but I'm going to move in a direction understanding that the grace of God is moving me forward. You see that, that, that David didn't even respond to that. Maybe, maybe Ziba didn't put it together that David was also considered an outcast, that David was also one who was rejected and, and disrespected by his brother. Maybe he didn't understand that David had a heart for the underdog. So David asked a question. He said, where is he? Where, where is he at? And he said, he's in, he's in this spot called Lodabar. Lodabar was a place that, that literally means no hope, no growth, no potential, no love, no life. He, he literally found refuge in a place of hopelessness. See, that's what happens a lot of times when we experience brokenness in our lives. We, we often find refuge in a place where we begin to lose all hope that anything could ever get better. We just find comfort in being isolated because we don't want to deal with rejection and disappointment anymore. Some of us may find ourselves there right now. Or maybe in order to protect yourself from the pain, you've just kind of isolated yourself from ever expecting it ever to get better. But what I love is that when he found out where he was, when King David found out where he was, he sent a messenger to retrieve him. I want, you, I want you to hear what I just said, that when he found out where he was, he sent a messenger to retrieve him. My main man, Meph, didn't have to clean himself up and crawl back into the presence of the king. The king sent a messenger to retrieve him. Let me tell you something. 
You may be at a place where you feel like the grace of God can't reach you and you got to get yourself all together before you're ever going to be welcomed in this church, before you'll be welcomed into the kingdom. But the Bible that I read declares that the grace of God will reach you exactly where you are and he has a potential and purpose for your life. I, I suspect that there are moments where even I was early in my Christian walk, I, I often wondered, like, will God really use me? I've, I've, got, I've got some mistakes under my belt. I've, I've, I've had some setbacks in my life. Will, will, God really, will God really use me? You see, when, when my main man, Meph, gets brought into the presence of the king, he's, he's a little bit nervous, understandably, because, again, he's thinking that, man, maybe, maybe they're going to kill me. Maybe they want to make sure they eradicate all of the bloodline. So as he comes in, he, he begins to say, who am I? that you would show kindness to a dead dog like me. Think about that for a moment. This man has degraded himself because he didn't see any value in himself. And what I sense is that for some of us, when we, when we hear about this idea of this, this love that God has for us, this grace that God has for us, this idea that he wants to do something powerful in our lives, we often see ourselves through the lens of our brokenness and we can't see past it. But it's not honoring to God when we dishonor his creation. You are made in the image of God. You are not a dead dog. You are a live son. You are a live daughter. And how about if we start looking at ourselves and calling ourselves the things that God has called us instead of allowing culture to put labels on us? This is the tension that we have to wrestle with. David moves past all of that, and he immediately just simply says, man, I, I want to restore everything back to you. And what's so fascinating about this whole entire narrative is this, is that that man, Ziba, that very same man who, who once was pointing out the flaws of my main man, Meph, that, that very same man who was highlighting the brokenness and the struggles that he had, that very same man now was responsible for serving him. It's interesting how our biggest setbacks become the platform that God will use in order for us to move forward in our lives. We call that testimony. Maybe there's something in your life right now that, that you feel that's buried under your heart, something that you don't feel like you can express something that you don't feel as if you can, you can move forward. And I promise you that nothing is wasted when grace gets involved, that God can use those broken things in your life and it can become the very platform that he uses to declare his goodness. You see, when I, when I look at this story, it takes a very interesting turn because what the narrative says is, it says that, that Mephibosheth is now sitting at the king's table. This man who was an outcast, this man who was broken, this man who should have been considered unfit, this man who, who should have never been invited into the king's presence, that he's sitting at the king's table. But the text ends with what I consider to be a very odd note, because after all of this, this man who's in isolation, this man who's been dropped, this man who's been broken, this man who's been retrieved, this, this man who's been brought into the presence of the king, he's now invited to sit at the table of the king. And the very last lines, it reminds us, and it says but he's still broken in both feet. Why, why, would, the, why would the scripture, why, why would the writer want to emphasize the fact that he was broken in both feet? See, I, I love stories where they get radically healed and everything changes. I, I love the stories where, where everything gets made better and we don't have to wrestle with it anymore. I, I love when it, it, we can wrap a nice little cute bow around it where he finally gets his miracle and he's walking out of there. He's moonwalking. I, I love those type of scenarios. But it seems that this took a very, a very hard turn where it says that, yes, he, he has access to all of these things. He, he has resources. He, he finally is welcome, but, but yet he still has some struggles. You see, I, I think it was meant to serve as a reminder for some of us 
that you're welcome at the table because grace is on the menu. That, that no matter what you're struggling with, that no matter what your setbacks may be, no matter where you are in your journey right now, that you are welcome at the table as you are, even if you are broken, even if you are struggling, even if you do have some things that you're working through, you're welcome as you are. You know, it, it makes me think about when Jesus was sitting with his disciples. We commonly refer to it as the, the Last Supper. And as he's, and as he's sitting there with his disciples, he, he breaks the bread and he's, he's spending this time trying to help them to understand the, the gravity of the moment. And as he unpacks all the, the nuances of Passover and how he's the fulfillment of it, he's passing the bread to a lot of different people that are at the table. Let me, let me give you some context. We have people of different political beliefs that are there. We have people who outside of Jesus would have actually been at odds with one and one another. We, we, have, we have people like Thomas who, who struggled with doubt. Judas was there and he was the one who betrayed him. Peter was there and he's the one who denied him. The other disciples were there and they're the ones who actually ran away when Jesus was arrested, but they, but they all were still sitting at the table and Jesus knew what they were going to do, but yes, somehow they were still welcome. Listen to me, Fuse. Maybe you're in doubt right now. You're still welcome at the table. Maybe, maybe you have fear right now. You're still welcome at the table. Maybe you have some insecurities right now. You're still, you're still welcome at the table. Maybe, maybe there's some areas of your life where you're wrestling with whether or not Jesus is Lord. You're still welcome at the table. Maybe you have some addictions in your life. You're still welcome at the table. Maybe, maybe you have a, a double life and you're trying to figure it all out. You're, you're still welcome at the table. Listen to me. No matter what you're wrestling with, no matter what your struggle may be, you are welcome at the table because grace is on the menu. God will reach you where you are and use that very same grace to get you where you're supposed to be. I want to encourage you guys with this. I sense that some of us are, are, are looking at our lives and we look at the context of, of this Christmas season and we think about how Jesus came for all. Sometimes we can look at our lives and, and compare ourselves to others and, and maybe your journey is like mine. You've been dropped in situations that you didn't ask for and you're wondering if the grace of God can ever truly move you forward. I'm a witness that it can in every area of my life. You see, I, I had my son, my oldest son, when I was 17 years old. I was... I was just graduating from high school. I didn't turn 18 yet. And I, I remember after my graduation ceremony, one of my teachers had come up to me and she had said to me, she's like, hey, you know, I, I, I found out that your, that your girlfriend is, is pregnant. And I said, yes. She's like, man, I, I really thought that you were gonna make something out of your life. I guess you're just gonna be another statistic. I'm 44 years old. And I still remember those words. I still remember that feeling of struggling with, with shame, struggling with, am, am I another statistic? Is, 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 my life, is, is my life ever going to get better? Am I just going to be a person who, who lives paycheck to paycheck for the rest of my life? Will, 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 will anything ever, ever get better for me? Now we can fast forward. That very same son that I had is married, two beautiful granddaughters. He's a youth pastor himself. What I'm trying to help you to understand is there is nothing that you have done 
or can do that God can't use and redeem and that very same thing become a testimony that reaches more people. I don't know who I'm talking to in here today, but I suspect, I suspect that maybe you've heard some words spoken over your life. I suspect that maybe the enemy of our soul has been whispering in your ear telling you that maybe that you have met, you've already maxed out that your life will never get better than where it is. I'm here to let you know that you may be in a low to bar season right now, but I truly believe that the King of Kings has sent a messenger to retrieve you from where you are to let you know that you are welcome at the table. Will you allow me to pray for you? Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for for everything that you're doing in this space. God, I, I thank you for the fact that your spirit is moving right now. God, you know the needs of every one of your students and leaders included, those who are watching online and at our other locations, God. Father, my prayer is this, that we understand that we are welcome at the table because grace is on the menu, that you came to save all of us, Father. There are people who have been dropped into poverty, God. I pray that they know that they are welcome. There are people who have been dropped into circumstances that they never asked for, God, but I pray that they're encouraged in knowing that they're welcome at the table. Father, I pray that we all can come to the saving knowledge of understanding. There is nothing that we have done that can ever allow us to outpace the grace of God that you have for us. So, Lord, in this season, as we celebrate the holidays, as we celebrate gifts and all those other wonderful things, allow us to celebrate the fact that you came to save us from where we are, but you didn't leave us there. You're going to take us to what we're called to do. So, Father, I pray a blessing over every single one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.